Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's AEW Dynamite Review Show here on the unofficial WWE podcast. Today is Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, and we are talking about last night's episode of Dynamite that had MJF versus CM Punk, a glorious, glorious, I'm stealing the phrase from you, Bobby Roode, a glorious main event, and uh, and a bunch of other weird stuff on it. So we're going to get into all of it right after this. Came to AEW to dominate. Jungle Boy Jeff Perry. Nobody is gonna take this away from me. This is mine once again. All right, everybody. As always, I hope you have all had a wonderful week this week. Uh, I myself feel like I'm probably cursed by Danhausen or something because just another another crappy week. In a series of crappy months lately, you know, life is just, life gets lifey. And uh, and so, therefore, I say all that to, uh, to lead me into this wonderful transition that is, I love being able to get in front of this microphone, sit down, talk to you guys about pro wrestling, sit in the sandbox for a little while, take me out of my moment. And, uh, you know, that main event last night on Dynamite did exactly that. So I'm super excited to talk to you guys about that. Most of the other show, maybe not so much. However, uh, we're going to get into the whole thing as always. But first and foremost, Patreon, we're on it. It's a dollar a month. If you subscribe on Patreon, you can either go to patreon.com slash the WWE podcast or you can go to the Patreon app and just search the WWE podcast and we are on there. 99 cents, guys. 99 cents a month, excuse me. All of these shows ad-free. It's It's a hell of a deal. What are you waiting for if you're not already subscribed? There's a Discord server where you can talk on a, during a lot of pay-per-views. And there's a bunch of exclusive shows. And most importantly, no ads. So uh, make sure you get onto that if you have not already. And if you don't, if Patreon, for some reason, you just really, you're not into it. You're not a Patreon person. There's something going on that Patreon is not for you. Like just some weird, severe resentment to Patreon. Or maybe you're just like, like me. You like Apple Music. Go to Apple Music and look at the top of this page, which you probably already have already, considering you're listening to this. And you can subscribe for $2.99 a month. All these shows ad-free as well. All right, now that is out of the way. Let's just get right into last night's episode of Dynamite. And we started off with John Moxley versus Wheeler Yuta. And yeah, guys, right from the jump, there's plenty to talk about here on this, on this episode of Dynamite for sure. Uh, first and foremost, Brian Kendrick, obviously... Uh, if you follow me on the Twitter, you know my feelings on this. If you don't follow me on the Twitter, it's at Mimi Burris, so feel free to jump on that. But really, uh, I take it back. Actually, I didn't. I don't feel like I went too in on this. Um, it's a sensitive subject, obviously. But uh, all I'll say, I guess, on this on this podcast medium, I'm thinking about my words carefully here. On this podcast medium, all I will say about it is that I think Tony Khan made the right decision in in this instance uh, to pull Brian Kendrick from the match and hopefully any other future matches with AEW. Yes, I think that was the right decision. However, however, with that being said, uh, 
I think hopefully you'd like to think this would set a precedent. Uh, and I'm not trying to make uh, these two things are not the same. And I'm not trying to make one worse or better than the other. But these two things are not the same. However, I think it's silly to to pick out Brian Kendrick. I don't, I'm no Brian Kendrick stan or anything, guys. I, I, I don't know much about the guy anyways. I mean, obviously... Uh, I know of Brian Kendrick, and I and I remember a lot of Brian Kendrick matches and Paul London and Brian Kendrick, but that's not the point here. My point being is that, again, I'm not making a comparison as one being worse than the other. That's not my place to do that. But I will say that um, that if you want to set a precedent where someone like Brian Kendrick, who has made these comments, can't compete on your wrestling show, then you probably don't want to hire people like Jay Lethal. Or go without any investigation on other speaking out movement charges uh, and uh, among wrestlers that are more heavily presented on Dynamite and Rampage, but specifically on Dynamite or just AEW programming as a whole. Uh, I tweeted this out. I said it's very it's very um, Jack Gallagher treatment that we are getting so up in arms about this, but no one's really talking about the whole Ronda Rousey stuff anymore. And... Um, Nobody's really talking about the fact that AEW hired people like Jay Lethal and did little to no investigating. I think at least they made it, they didn't make any of it known, and uh, and I'm pretty sure no professional wrestling company did any kind of investigating on any of these speaking out movements. You know, I'm guilty of it too, guys. We can get caught up in the uh, in the characters, but uh, these people are people too, and sometimes you know, it turns out people aren't always. I don't want to say people aren't always good people. I'm not like I feel like I'm a parent giving a child a talk right now. That's not what I'm trying to trying to do. I'm just saying sometimes people don't always do good things and people do bad things and uh, and they need to be, you know, there needs to be repercussions to bad actions. But I just think uh, I don't think favoritism is the right word. But I just think it's funny that we jump on a guy like Brian Kendrick or Jack Gallagher from the speaking out movement thing, who was kind of the scapegoat, right? And, you know, we let this kind of thing slide with so many other people because of their position in a company or for whatever reason it is. Um, so just food for thought, right? I'm not um, I'm not coming at anyone. I'm not trying to be accusatory. I'm not trying to stir the pot or cause any issues or anything like that. Just some food for thought. But let's let's just move straight into the match because that's why, you know, that's what we're here to talk about is dynamite, actual dynamite. And you know what? Wheeler Yuta stepping up against John Moxley in this opening match. And I thought this was incredible. I thought this was really, really fun to watch. I think it's been really cool to see Moxley in this new form. And it was a really cool story told, uh, especially so last minute of Wheeler Yuta. And they really hammered it home on commentary. But of Wheeler Yuta you know, wrestling Moxley different this time, for a second time this time, and the first time just getting his, you know, you-know-what beaten. And this time being able to come out and having a different strategy and, and knowing a little bit more and getting a little bit better, I think that under undertone of that story being told with this match uh, going on above it with the story of John Moxley, obviously, learning about how to wrestle in this new shape he's in and, and learning how to, uh, in, in uh, like, multiple, multiple forms, I guess, is what I mean by that. Whether he's lost weight, obviously being sober now, all this stuff. It's been interesting to see that storyline progress and then the Wheeler Yuta one kind of underneath of he's getting better and better. It was interesting to watch that as well. However, as great as this match was, and, uh, you know, the only thing I will say is Wheeler Yuta definitely got a lot of offense. I think it made a little bit more sense with Ethan Page. I think we're pushing a little bit with the Wheeler Yuta stuff, but it wasn't anything that seemed too unrealistic. So I really enjoyed this, though. And John Moxley obviously winning by pinfall. With the paradigm shift, 
But let's talk about the post-match, guys, because Brian Danielson comes into the ring. He's got a microphone in his back pocket. He asks the crowd, you know, who wants to see us fight? And he talks about he wanted to see them fight. And then he got to thinking. Got to thinking about how John Moxley was the greatest AEW champion of all time. Uh, and then he starts, you know, talking, you know what, about a millennial cowboy, about Sammy Guevara, about Luchasaurus. And you know what? That is where I drew the line, though. That is where I drew the line about Luchasaurus coming out. Like, Luchasaurus, Luchasaurus. I want to. I, I never knew one of my dream matches with Brian Danielson would be against a dinosaur. But that's where we're at today in 2020. So, uh, But he says that they, them two, as a team, they should team up. They could shape the future of pro wrestling altogether. Uh, they could take people like Daniel Garcia under their wing. Wheeler Yuta. Wheeler Yuta. Wheeler Yuta. Why is he hanging out with Orange Cassidy and um, Dan Housen when he could be, you know, being taught by John Moxley and Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielskins, excuse me. And uh, and yeah, guys, I mean, he essentially, you know, John Moxley looks at the camera like, oh, look at this guy, right? And then then by the end of it, he kind of looks like he's considering it. So this whole thing was so interesting to me because somehow some way Brian Danielson came out and really I'm learning more and more guys Brian Danielson is one of the greatest baby faces of all time without a doubt obviously we all know the run in 2014 and and much more beyond that as well but Brian Danielson is an incredible baby face I think he's an even better heel though I think as of yesterday's and last night's dynamite I decided that I enjoy watching Brian Danielson as a heel 10 times more because he's so good at it. And he's not just your typical cheap heat kind of heel. Yes, he definitely does that here and there. But, you know, who doesn't? It's more this, like, I was confused by this, but not in a bad way. Like, yeah, Brian Danielson's like, who wants to see us fight? And I'm like, I do. And then he takes it away from you. And he's like, but we should team up. And you're like, oh, I, I didn't. I think I want to see that too. John Moxie and Brian Danielson as a team. And then he goes to like form his own, you know, heart family dungeon. But like Brian Danielson, you know, vegan dojo or, you know, vegan gym. I don't know of, of teaching all of these young professional wrestlers uh, how to how to wrestle like Brian Danielson and John Moxley and take them under their wing like Daniel Garcia. The minute he mentioned Daniel Garcia, I think me at home, you at home, and all of the crowd in Chicago were like, yeah, we want that. Please give us that. Brian Danielson and, uh, and uh, Daniel Garcia, that would be incredible. Please, that, yes, please. But he's also such a prick the entire time that you want to boom. So it's this weird dynamic of the crowd booing and cheering and booing and cheering. Uh, he talks about Lee Moriarty as well, obviously, too. I don't want to forget to mention his name. Uh, so this was a really confusing segment, but not in a bad way, in a good way, because Brian Danielson is such a good heel that you can cheer this stuff that he's saying. Like, I can cheer for this idea of Daniel Garcia and Brian Danielson teaming up or, or uh, John Moxley and Brian Danielson teaming up and starting the vegan, you know, I don't know the badass vegan gym or something. I don't know what they would. I don't. I don't know what they would do. I'm, this is why. This is why I'm at home in front of a microphone talking to you guys and not doing anything above this pay grade. But uh, so he like teased us with some stuff that we'd really want to see. To me, I had this weird flashback to like the Cody Rhodes promo from a couple weeks back. Right, Cody Rhodes comes out, brings the uh, Ashley and I had talked about it on the show. He brings the ladder out into the middle of the ring, and Cody Rhodes somehow like cuts a promo on everybody and everybody gets a sentence 
uh, and none of it hit, and it was all confusing and jumbled, and it didn't land as calculated or anything. It just was like, I don't know. It's You didn't even get a taste of a bunch of little things you wanted. You just got like... This is a weird... Okay, guys, you, you all know I love my weird analogies. You know, uh, pick a candy you really like. Um, Starburst, that's a good one. Let's go with Starburst. Who doesn't like Starburst? And everybody likes at least one kind of flavor of Starburst, right? All right, now take the, the four regular flavors, and then they got all those weird flavors now, like the tropical and all this other crap that nobody... I don't know. If you like it, you like it. Power to you, but... Now, just, like, jumble all... Like, take one of each and just jumble it in a giant ball, right? And then throw it at somebody. <laughs> or try to bite into that. Or try to eat that. It's going to taste disgusting because it's overloaded, overpacked with sugar and all this stuff. And you're really not even getting to taste any of the one flavors you might like here and there. You're just tasting all of this at once and it, it, it's gross. Like, that's what that Cody Rhodes promo was to me. The ver the reason I bring that up is this Brian Danielson one where he mentioned, like, he, he somehow teased the match with John Moxley, teaming with John Moxley, Somehow teaming with Daniel Garcia, maybe, or teaming with Lee Moriarty and um, and teaming with Wheeler Yuta, or, or somehow the match with all three of those, or a match against Daniel Garcia. I'm really onto this Brian Danielson, Daniel Garcia thing. John, John Moxley versus, excuse me, John Moxley and Brian Danielson versus 2.0. Like, all of these little matches, all of these little starbursts, he gave you a little bite of each of them. Just not even the whole thing, he just gave you a little bite of each of them. And now you can't wait to get the rest of them. Like, it was just a tease. It wasn't like it felt, like, grabby or anything. It was more just like, I don't know what I want first. I, it's like when you walk into a really amazing buffet. Like, where do you... You start with the bacon. You always start with the bacon first. But where do I start kind of thing. And uh, and I really thought this was so well done. Because still, he left the ring. And I thought, God, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. But uh, I really want to see him do all that stuff he just talked about. So I thought this was, this was extremely effective. Confusing. But not in a bad way. Just like thought-provoking. And um, and I really I really think Brian Danielson should only forever wear white t-shirts. I, I just... I think I will never look at anybody else who tries to wear a white t-shirt the same. Because nobody else will look as good as that man does in those white t-shirts. And... Um, and I know I skimmed over the match briefly, but I do want to quickly mention Wheeler Yuta. I can't say that name. I'm just going to say Yuta. Yuta looked really, really incredible, especially in comparison to the last couple times we've seen him on Dynamite. He's definitely improving with each match. And uh, and it's good to see them invest. Like it's, I, I imagine this is a big spot for Yuta to have, the first match on Dynamite. You know, that is a coveted spot in AEW history. So... I was cool to see Yuta get getting better and better in each of those spots, getting better and getting better in headcanon, but also getting better like actually like uh, in the ring and um, and John Moxley still somehow managed to look strong even though he had all this offense against him against Yuta and that spot on the outside with uh, Moxley being distracted by Dan Danhausen with the curse and him just like no selling it and then getting the crossbody from Yuta to the outside. First of all, the crossbody looked awesome. Not as good as Jamie Hayter, so we miss Jamie Hayter. I don't know where Dr. Britt Baker and Rebel and uh, Jamie Hayter were on this show, but, you know, that's nonetheless. Uh, all right, let's, let's, I got distracted there. I started thinking about the crossbody. I, th I started thinking about how Jamie Hayter takes a crossbody, and then I just kind of zoned out into my own world. Let's move on to what was next on this show. And honestly, guys, it was all kind of, it was all... It got a little weird from here. 
Uh, I'm not going to talk about every little thing on this show, I don't think, because I don't think a lot of it warrants in uh, <laughs> any kind of analyzing. But let's just let's let's talk about it, guys. Let's talk about this Brandy Rhodes and uh, Dan Lambert segment because you know if you haven't seen it, then good good for you actually probably I, i'm not going to go tell you to watch it but i'm not going to go through a lot of this dialogue at least specifically um long story go away they go back and forth with very you know dan lambert very racist sexist comments and uh the crowd you know what go watch it yourself if you haven't seen it go watch it yourself but i do want to talk about this because i do think this warrants i do think aew needs to be called out on how awful and stupid this is um all right so when we have brandy Rhodes come out right obviously people she's she's playing a heel that is made very clear to us by her first line where she talks she she you know essentially says screw you to the town of chicago calling it cleveland right that shows and entails right to us that this person in the ring is a heel and then brandy Rhodes, i mean excuse me then dan lambert comes out and somehow we're cheering for Dan Lambert. So we're cheering for the man. We're supposed to be cheering for the guy who's making racist, sexist, slut-shaming comments and talking about how, uh, I don't know, Brandy Rhodes's breasts are fake and that uh, questions how, whatever. I'm not. I'm not even as as like a as a. As a privileged white woman, I am not even going to go there. It's not even my job to be outraged on behalf of anybody else, right? But I, I am. I was uncomfortable watching this segment. Um, you know, the comment or whatever about the only face turn she's done or something is her old job. It's calling her like a, a slut or something again. I, I don't know. I got, I got, I don't remember the exact verbiage. And then, and then, so Brandy Rose then slaps Dan Lambert. The crowd is chanting, by the way, throughout this entire thing, shut the you-know-what up. And then she just eventually has to just talk over them because they don't shut up. Who am I supposed to be cheering for? The person that the crowd clearly hates and is, and is I'm being told is a heel by what she did. She came out. Or Dan Lambert, the sexist, racist ass. I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused here. I, I don't, like, okay, let's, let's pretend... All right, let's break this up into two things. That's how we're going to cover this. Let's break this up into two parts, all right? First and foremost, let's talk about the real-world aspect of this, right? Um, I don't think racism and slut-shaming and whatever else... Uh, you guys have heard me talk about this stuff with the, throughout the Jericho stuff more specifically. I don't, I don't think racism's, or racist comments and slut-shaming or whatever should be used for heel heat in professional wrestling. I don't. Um... I think I think I actually probably veer more on the line. Veer, by the way, Veer Mahan is coming. But I, I probably veer more on the the side of like I'm okay with real stuff being intertwined in wrestling storylines. I think um I know it was very subtle, but the hangman page drinking problem I thought was really um uh a small a small continuous detail in that storyline with um Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and the Young Bucks obviously that is a real life thing that a lot of people struggle with, obviously, with more recently John Moxley who's spoken out about it. Like I don't think there's there's anything wrong with being edgy even sometimes with some of the stuff that they cut promos with and, and whatever else. Like I really think 
Like, I'm not trying to watch, you know, a PG programming here, right? I, I'm, I am watching an adult program show, right, at 8 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. Like, I'm, I'm well aware and I'm capable of taking in some of these topics and, and knowing that they're real things that go on in the world and the things that happen and stuff like that. The problem is here is these things are not being used in a storyline or anything like that. They're just being thrown out there for cheap heat, first of all. Dan Lambert, cheap heat. It doesn't, it's not going anywhere, right? And there's no, and there's no, uh, like they're not trying to hit some story beat at the end where like, like what's, here's the thing. What's going to happen, and this is kind of brings me to the second part of this whole thing. What What's going to, What's going to become of this? What what kind of, what is the best comeuppance we get here? Brandy Rhodes, the heel, the heel, and Paige Van Zant, who's representing the guy who's making racist and sexist like and and talking about remarks and talking about cancel culture and whatever. Paige Van Zant, right? Brandy Rhodes gets comeuppance. Who wins? Who's supposed to win this feud? The racist or the one who's getting booed? Or, like, it doesn't, the heel or the guy who's acting like a heel, it just doesn't make any sense. It's so distasteful. And I think if you're going to go there, if you're going to try to go there with this stuff, you have to do better, especially with this kind of topic. You have to be as careful and calculated about stuff. If you're going to get edgy, if you're going to get edgy, you got to be as careful and calculated as you as, as Hangman Page, as the Hangman Page story arc was as Kenny Omega was with that whole storyline, right? If you're going to bring up something or talk about sensitive issues, it can't be in this gross, disgusting, grabby way uh, that doesn't... That, where are we going with this? And so that leads me into my next point where um, you've got heel in the ring, Brandy Rhodes. You've got heel Dan Lambert somehow getting cheered. I don't know if we're babyface turning the sexist, racist guy um, who's calling himself out as that, by the way. Didn't even say that myself. Called himself out. Who's taught, you know, making fun of cancel culture, whatever else. You're baby facing that guy. So Paige Van Zandt is the baby. Fa- like, what's, is it a mixed tag team match that we're going to get with Cody Rhodes and Brandy Rhodes versus Dan Lambert and Paige Van Zandt? Are we going to get Brandy Rhodes versus Paige Van Zandt? Like, who am I rooting for? It doesn't, it's not even like heel versus heel. It's just like, it's like heel versus bigot. It's, it's almost worse. Uh, so I this was this was one of the worst segments I've seen in a while. And yeah, I'm a human being. I'm like, oh, he talked about her boobs. That's funny. Like, huh? You know what I mean? Like, I've I've been watching pro wrestling enough to have like a, a I have the pro wrestling mind. I have like the you know the pro wrestling fan mind of like old attitude era or later attitude era, early ruthless aggression stuff. Like, I'm not um, I'm not stone cold. Whatever. Like, I I, I get it and I understand why people who maybe book pro wrestling go to this a lot of the time because it used to happen all the time but we are not in that point anymore and I will say it again I said it before and I will say it again right you can't be like this outwardly sexist about stuff and make these kind of remarks when you are not booking a woman's division because you clearly don't view women on an equal level playing field as men uh, especially in this sport. So you are already showing me that as a corporation, that's how you feel. And now you're just making it even louder by having some guy come out and continuously make sexist remarks and talking about like her, her position in the company. Like I, I get it. It's it not, it wasn't a bad jab, but, uh, it wasn't good either because it was, it just, 
it was more evidence that this is how it's like I'm really starting to believe that this is how people backstage this is how your QT Marshalls and Tony Khan whatever actually feel about women and about uh people of color or any race or anything I'm starting to feel like this is again really bad timing with a stupid tweet Tony Khan made not too long ago not to mention you're not letting a guy on your show who's made these terrible, terrible comments. And again, I'm not trying to compare the two, but I just felt like it was tone deaf. Like, uh, on the same night, all all together. This was, this was ridiculously stupid. And again, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I am a woman, so I will say that. Like, and I, I'm not, like, personally, guys, I'm going to tell you, I'm not, like, personally offended by this. I'm okay, right? I'm also a white woman, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not, like, sitting here butthurt about what Dan Lambert said. It's not about what, I'm thinking, though, it's about, look at your female audience. You clearly, you clearly have no idea how to attract that because this is what we're going with. Like, it's not about whether or not me, per se, is is offended or it's not about whether or not you're offended. It's about who are we offending with this and what's the purpose? Why are we, why are we making stupid remarks like this? Like, are, is it getting us anywhere or is it getting us to a heel versus heel match that nobody really wants to see? What I will say, what I will say, because I've just rambled on. I don't know if any of you followed any of that. I've, I've been, uh, I'm finding out more and more how long-winded I am. And we'll have to figure out how to concise that down a little bit. But what I will say is that Paige Van Zant looked awesome. And the pull-apart brawl, pull brawl wasn't bad. But again, who am I cheering for? I'm cheering for Paige Van Zant, who's representing the bigot. I don't understand that. I, I don't. Also, why is, uh, why is Paige Van Zant working for some guy... Or fighting for some guy who's making these remarks about, like, I don't know, women support women. Right? Like, I don't I don't get this. To me, the payoff for this is Brandy Rhodes and Paige Van Zandt beating the crap out of Dan Lambert. And uh, clearly, the Chicago crowd has been... I don't, I don't want to say they've been conditioned, because I'm not going to completely blame AEW for, like, the inner workings of bigotry and sexism and whatever in, in the world. But what I will say is that this little undertone of, like, a it it being okay to make these remarks about about women and it being okay to make these remarks about race and it being okay to say all this stuff for, for no reason by the way again for no reason other than just like some cheap heat or whatever right and this a terrible jericho feud with the inner circle versus american top team like you heard this crowd pop for a lot of this stuff i don't know who they were pop- they're, they're cheering for dan lambert so i don't know how we baby faced dan lambert but it's kind of like like gross. I, I I don't consider it like from what I heard that night. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be proud to call myself an AEW fan if that's the present company I'm a part of. So, food for thought. Especially if you were somebody at that show and you're cheering along with some guy uh, Dan Lambert making these cheap heat comments for no reason, no reason. And uh, and I don't know Dan Lambert personally. I don't know if he actually has these views or not. I assume he probably does if he's able to come up with this stuff so much, but um, who knows? I don't. I, I just think it's. I think it was a waste of, a waste of of going out there and saying these sensitive stuff for no reason. A waste of time. A waste of television time. And I don't even know where the hell this is going. And I don't really care. And uh, and I hope we don't have to see this again. They did it on Christmas too, and I don't think it got over then. So I don't know why people are. I don't know why who in the back was like, let's do that again. Um, 
All right, next up we had Matt Hardy backstage with Private Party, The Blade, and The Bunny, and then Andrade, and it's copy-paste-repeat. You guys have heard what I've thought about this. I will say I still pop a little bit when Andrade talks about buying Darby Allen. I think that's funny. But I couldn't care less about this Rampage match. Um TNT title open challenge. Uh, I, I don't get me wrong. I, and you, if you guys have listened to the show before, if you haven't, by the way, welcome. But if you have, um, hopefully we won't have to talk about something political each week because AEW stop being stupid. But um, we don't usually try to do that on this show. And uh, and thank you for listening. But yes, if you've listened to this before, uh, you know my views on a private party. I think they're a great tag team. I hope they get away from Matt Hardy within the next year. And um, and I hope they grow as a tag team, and I think they are definitely going to be awesome in this division. I, I just don't understand why Isaiah Cassidy is getting a singles match for the TNT title. It just makes the TNT title worth less. I'm, I'm all for open challenges, but the challengers probably should be a little bit more worthy than a random part of a tag team. You've got plenty of people on your roster. Use them. All right, speaking of plenty of people on your roster, we had Death Triangle, Pack and Penta versus the Kings of the Black Throne, Brody King and Malachi Black. And, uh, yeah, we had Blind blind Pack for a brief minute. And uh, you know what? I might be in the minority, and I guess not, actually, because Chicago seemed to pop for it. I love the little blindfold thing. I actually wish he just wrestled, quote-unquote, blind the whole time. I think that's a great gimmick for Pack, and I think he could pull it off, but... Maybe not. I, I don't know. It, it worked for a minute for me, though. Uh, and this match was, um, other than that, yeah, it had its high spots and it was good. But I guess for a good a good tag team match was not what I was expecting from these four guys. I was expecting more. And um, and I'll say Malachi Black and Brody King looked really weak coming out of this match. I thought they got mostly dominated the entire time and then just barely came out with a victory. That's not how I think this should have gone. I think uh, we should have seen Malachi Black and Brody King dominate a little bit more. Um, and you get a couple hope spots. But really, I understand Pack and Penta are legit. But if you're going to push Brody King and Malachi Black to the you know to the moon, to quote Cameron Grimes, and, and I think they should 100% put the belts on them as soon as possible, you got to preserve their aura. And so they probably can't get beat up for most of the match and then just, you know, blow a little mist in someone's face and then hit the Dante's Inferno. I, I wasn't... I don't know. I, I was really disappointed in this. Um, as you guys can tell, I'm speeding through a little bit because we did talk about a bunch. And I want to get to that main event. Uh, Adam Cole cutting a promo backstage. Uh, just kind of no-sells the loss on on, on uh, the unsanctioned match beach break last week and talks about how he's going to fight Evil Uno. And I actually think it's pretty um, pretty good booking. I was First, I was like, why Evil Uno? That makes no sense. Uh, I think, although Rampage looks doesn't look very exciting because of the lineup of the match card. The only match that I'm actually really excited for is the uh, Mercedes Martinez Thunder Rosa. I hope that gets the main event. Um, but still, I think the Sammy Guevara TNT Open Challenge and this match both being on that card, uh, both matches are going to suffer from that. Uh, however, I do understand why they picked Evil Uno, and it makes sense to me, uh, probably being that Adam. Cole is going to be the next challenger for Hangman Page's World Heavyweight Championship. World Heavyweight Championship, excuse me. AEW World Heavyweight Championship. So, all right, we had the women's match up next, and then we get into our main event. And we had Nyla Rose versus Ruby Soho. See how I said that, though? Oh, we had our women's match, like our designated singular women's match. Of the, I'm, not, I'm not even going to go into it, guys. Not today. I've done it enough. I'm done for the day. Uh, but this this was 
an all right match for sure. I thought Nyla Rose definitely looked really awesome. And um, and I hate to continue to pick on Ruby Soho, guys, but I think I think it seems like most of... Besides the Chris Statlander match, which I really enjoyed, most of the matches she's been in have kind of been duds, and, and the common denominator is her. And uh, and I say that without having, you know, too much knowledge, obviously, of, of everything behind the scenes. Uh, however, with that being said... Nyla Rose has really seemed to show up and show out and only seems to be getting better every single time she's in the ring. So I really can only put this on. It, it just, just maybe it was a lack of chemistry there. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, but I feel like I feel like uh, Ruby Soho has kind of outworn her welcome with the benefit of the doubt. I, I think she, uh, you know, came from WWE, wanted to show how talented she was in the ring, and I don't, I haven't seen it. I don't know if anybody else feels differently. She's definitely over for sure, and you know what? power to her uh and a lot of these women aren't there yet either ring uh ring work wise I think people just expect a little bit more from her but we did end up getting the finish it looked I assume it was on purpose that she misses the no future off the top and then Nyla Rose hits a senton atomica which looked incredible that's what I'm saying Nyla Rose isn't disappointing guys again Every time she's out there, she is looks like she's just doing cooler and getting and, and, and getting better, doing cooler, doing cooler spots, doing cooler stuff, looking uh, more fluid and getting better every single time she's out there. So, yeah, Nyla Rose wins. Then she hits, obviously, the Beast Bomb. The Beast Bomb looked awesome as well. So uh, we had after that, we had um, the Gun Club. I almost forgot their name for a minute. They threw Jungle Boy in the snow. Through the jungle boy in the snow, and then you know what I did pop for this though because Luchasaurus runs him off, uh, runs off the uh, the gun club, and there's just Luchasaurus out there, you know, shirtless in the middle of Chicago on the street of Chicago in the snow, shirtless with the dinosaur mask on. So I popped for that. So I enjoyed that part. But uh, we've talked plenty about this whole tag team thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more on another point. But I'm not looking forward to that match because it's the gun club. Hopefully they prove me wrong. Hopefully they prove me wrong. But all right, uh, then we had Hangman Adam Page being interview- interviewed in the ring. This was nothing new. This was the same stuff they've done. I, I have nothing new to say about this, guys. This feels mid-cardy. You've heard my views about Lance Archer. I think this is a really bad idea to go with this. I think this feels... This is, like, a terrible thing to do when you crown a new champion, and there's already concerns about the fact that he's going to feel a little bit mid-cardy in comparison to maybe John Moxley and uh, Kenny Omega and even Chris Jericho. And then you book him in a feud where it feels more... This feels like the least concerning thing on the show. Uh, I'm more interested... I was more interested in Isla Rose versus Ruby Soho than I was in this. So, that tells you something. I'm not more interested in the gun club than this. So, you know what? It's a 50-50. It's a 50-50. So, uh, there was a blackout on the timekeeper's table. Because that always has that... Something... Someone's got to go to the table once every dynamite. So, at least there weren't a bunch of backstage interruptions. So, I will give them that. Um... All right, then we get our main event of the evening, which was CM Punk versus MJF, and 45-plus minutes, guys, of greatness. This was such a good match, and I'm clearly, let me preface it with, I am not going to touch on every single detail. I'm going to forget plenty. I have a terrible memory. There was definitely a bunch of stuff I loved in this match that we're not going to talk about. There was nothing I really didn't like, so that's good. At least I won't forget any of that, because there wasn't anything to forget. Uh, but I really thought the pacing of this match was beautiful. Both matches, I guess, technically. I thought that uh, they were able to work a style that you just don't see as much anymore. Like, they let things register. And CM Punk's selling 
of the arm and the leg, specifically the arm, the minute he went into the steel post, right, was some of the best selling I have seen ever in pro wrestling, ever, because we don't see it anymore. So the bar is not that high, but still. Um, match starting off with CM Punk basically just getting to, you know, do a bunch of power slams to a guy who he's wanted to kick the crap out of for a while and beats him up, it felt like, forever ago. He beat him up up in the stairs with the fans. You know, a callback to that whole thing when they ran up the uh, the stairs. Um, put him on the railing with his poor, you know, area. And, um... And then there were, uh, he lets a fan slap him in the, in the stomach. He's just having fun beating the crap out of MJF. And that's when the shoulder to the post spot happens. He does the big man mistake. He pulls the big show. He pulls the Goldberg. He pulls the Bobby Lashley. Name your big man. Brock Lesnar into the post. Uh, and from then on, sells that arm like nothing else. MJF essentially for the rest of the match, both matches attacks the arm and the leg. And obviously we had the spot where, which was such a brilliant spot with the choke out. I was like genuinely like I got, I got mad. I was like really mad, not necessarily at the finish. Cause I kind of saw it coming like no, no crap. They're going to restart the match. Of course they are. Um, I don't know. It seemed like everybody in the crowd bought it though. So power to them. But I, I was, I was well aware that this was not this is how, how it was going to end. We had way too much time left. Yada, yada, yada. However, I was mad that, like, because CM Punk sold this so well, being choked out so well. I was like, get off that man, MJ. I was like, oh, fuck. I was really furious. I was like, don't choke out Phil Brooks here. We need him. We just got him back. And, um, and yeah, though, I thought it was, I thought it was definitely a choice to do it that way. And I thought it was a good choice and it allowed them to go for as long as they did for sure. Um, and have the match restarted. The referee, uh, Bryce Remsburg, doing an in- incredible job. I didn't, I didn't feel like he overdid it at all throughout. You know, all of his little spots in this match and, and in the second part of it as well, uh, and restarting the match. I thought, I thought he played a really important part where he just he wasn't overdoing it, but he wasn't underdoing it. And clearly, like there was that great spot where he pushed MJF into the roll up from CM Punk because he just was annoyed with him or getting pushed around from MJF. So. I want to give a quick shout out to Bryce Remsburg because I thought he did an incredible job, you know, doing his job. Uh, so after they restart the match uh, for the referee stoppage, obviously, because CM Punk being choked out and um, and then Bryce Remsburg is able to catch why it happened. Uh, Dice talked about the roll up and then we basically get a uh, MJF beat down for a little while. CM Punk counters the heat seeker, great springboard lariat and uh, MJF. Hits an arm breaker over the top rope. Uh, they end up on the outside. CM Punk hits a suicide dive. Uh, MJF and Hunt both the, it, during each time I'm gonna go on this ramp here. Uh, ramp. I'm gonna go on this rant here uh, about stuff. Each time CM Punk hit a big move, big move, specifically more so CM Punk hitting the big move than MJF. They took their time to sell it. That was a problem I had with the women's match actually, and I forgot to mention it. They did a bunch of bumps. Specifically, specifically that bump on the apron from uh, Ruby Soho to Nyla Rose. I don't even, I don't remember what the move was, but uh, and Nyla Rose got right up. It, it's you gotta sell this stuff or it doesn't mean anything. And you know these guys within forty five minutes of television time reminded me how much this stuff actually is supposed to hurt and how much it actually is supposed to be sold. Uh, and I, I just with the STF. From Punk, which was a great callback, of course. And I forgot to mention MJF's attire with the New York Yankee stripes, the pinstripes. 
brilliant stuff. Just brilliant stuff. And CM Punk wore the trunks, guys, so you know I had a good night. Um, they went back and forth with Tombstone. Uh, Tombstone, they didn't, neither of them were able to hit it. CM Punk falling over from the GTS at a point in this match was really wonderful. The um, near fall they got on the elbow drop. Everybody seems to have a gripe with CM Punk's elbow drop. I always liked it, but... um. You know that's not going to end the match. You, we all know. I bought it. I don't know about you guys uh, while you were watching it, but I definitely bit on that near fall. However, then the finish to this match, guys, I know I skipped a bunch of parts, but um, the finish to this match, Wardlow comes out, right? MJF does the thing where he rolls out of the ring after a big move. Oh, oh I, how could I forget? How could I forget? The Pepsi motherfucking plunge from the top rope since 17 years since ring of honor you guys obviously not allowed to do that in wwe and you know what the best part about that spot was it didn't feel like uh screw you wwe it just felt like a hey i'm CM punk and i'm back 17 years ago uh pro wrestling obviously in ring of honor and not being able to do that move and then being out of pro wrestling it didn't feel like a shot at wwe it felt like or shot at triple h maybe you guys took it that way i didn't take it that way at all i took it as just like a i get to do whatever i want now because i'm in the company that allows me to be me period and it was just such a nice moment and then the selling of the knee off of it was really incredible as well so i forgot that was right before the elbow and i did not get to mention that but yes mjf does again for the hundredth time he does that little rollout little rollout after getting hit with a big move and god so good yes there was biting there was eye poking there was choking out there was you know feet on the ropes there were all the little dirty tricks in the game but to me that slow rollout, once the big move is hit by the baby face, right? And the heel just makes that slow, slow, slow rollout. It's such an underutilized maneuver, especially because probably because it slows down a match and everybody feels like it needs to be go, 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 go for anything to be interesting. This match had my attention with every second throughout the entire time. They did not lose my attention and it, they didn't have to jump up and do all these cool little high spots. I was not looking at my phone once. They had my attention because the story was so good. They probably could have been having a rock, paper, scissors fight, and I still would have been invested. That is good storytelling. But so uh, MJF, again, is taking his time, slowly rolling out of the rink, and he's just like, oh, God, I hate that guy. Roll, roll the other way, MJF, you coward. And uh, Wardlow comes down to the ring. The brilliance in this, you guys. Steps over MJF, in between MJF and CM Punk, right? Looks at CM Punk right in the face. We don't see anything else going on. We got a close-up of CM Punk and Wardlow. And then Wardlow takes a step to the left, moves as, as to if almost allows CM Punk to, and really to enter his own demise, but uh, as we found out afterwards, but to to finish off MJF. That's what it seems like at the moment, right? I'm not going to intervene. I'm not going to intervene. I'm not going to interfere. I was wondering where Wardlow was this entire time too, funny enough. But so CM Punk rolls MJF back in the ring. And then we get it. MJF punches CM Punk with the uh, beautiful diamond ring. One, two, three. Referee counts it. Obviously, Wardlow distracting the referee. And when we go back, commentary breaks down the ending of the match and we get the replay. Wardlow passed the ring, the diamond ring, behind his back to MJF off the camera. 
Oh, it was so brilliant, you guys. The use of the Wardlow MJF storyline underneath, and not even underneath, it's just like right up at the surface throughout this feud has been so incredible. So incredible. And like makes it feel even bigger than it already felt like. Even bigger than your Batista Triple H stuff. Like it makes it feel like beyond that, just the big man turning on his like snippy boss. Like you're, I don't know. Anyways, you guys know what I'm trying to, your Diesel Shawn Michaels. Like it's got a whole nother layer to it. The only thing I would have loved to see is the headlock takeover, but I will, I'll, 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 I'll be okay with that. And MJF sitting cross-legged in the ring, uh, right, uh, right next to CM Punk, obviously, and um, it's just a great touch. And I can't wait to see where they go from here. I assume, I assume we're getting a stepped-up rematch at the uh, at Revolution. I don't know what that rematch is going to be. I don't know what kind of match it's going to be. I'm excited to hear. I really don't have any ideas. I'm just, I'm along for the ride with this story. This to me. This, to me, along with the Hangman Page, obviously, storyline with Kenny Omega. But this, that storyline, and, um, yeah, I mean, I just really, these two are the are the most, are the, to me, are the most well-told, let me put it that way, subtly, beautifully well-told storylines in pro wrestling that I have, uh, I've gotten a chance to witness live in a, in a really long time, since as long as I can remember. So, with all that being said, though, guys, I really enjoyed the show for the most part. Yes, it had its problems, but with an incredible uh, main event and a good opening match and um, and a few things I liked in between, too, mostly just Luchasaurus shirtless in the snow with a dinosaur mask. I just, it's incredible. Uh, long story go away, you know, you remember the last thing you see the most, so I came away with the show with a good feeling, even though that shows you how good this match was because this Dynamite had that... Uh, I almost forgot about that whole thing with Brandy Rhodes and uh, Dan Lambert because that's how good the main event was. So with all that being said, though, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, I'm I am hoping that Danhausen removes the curse from me and I'm able to have a wonderful rest of my week as well. And I can't wait to sit down and talk about Dynamite with you guys next week. So thank you for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time.